Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Bad news about BART just doesn't surprise me anymore. The system has been struggling to get people on its trains again since the pandemic and has been battling a public relations crisis around crime and safety. That, plus the delays and all the other problems that regular riders are probably used to seeing. I often go home for Sunday dinner to the family, and it's often really delayed, and it just feels inconsistent. It's also already way too expensive. I used to actually be a regular BART writer, but I do agree with a lot of the sentiments regarding the public that it feels a little unsafe. But this week, BART made some big changes to its system, and the agency is hoping that it's enough to bring people back. And writers are hoping so, too. I definitely have noticed a new schedule this week, and it's been a a welcome change. Overall, I'm really continuing to root for BART and to hope that they can figure out their financing. I really hope to see BART fully recover because it is a great service. But I want it to be better, and I love it because I know that it's not the best we deserve, but I want it to be better, and it's the best we have right now. I have mixed feelings. I love BART, and I hate BART. Today, we're talking with KQED's Dan Brecky about all the changes BART just made to its system and the tall order it's got to win your heart back. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Several months ago, uh, the general manager's office over at BART came up with this idea of Reducing train times by doing a couple big adjustments to the schedule. Dan Brecky is a transportation editor for KQED. One of the changes would be that no one would ever have more than a 20-minute wait. That would happen by actually reducing some of the weekday service on the lesser traveled lines, like the line between Richmond and Berryessa, for instance. There would be an increase in service on the busiest line, which is the line between Pittsburgh Bay Point and SFO, San Francisco International Airport. Now, the trade-off on that line is 
those trains are running every 10 minutes. On those other lines, like from Richmond to Berryessa, they're only running uh, every 20 minutes. And if they sort of evened everything out, you could have trains all day, every day, every 20 minutes. It's a big change, and there are some things that people are not totally in love with yet, but it seems to be working pretty well so far. A part of that change, too, is that they're actually way less of the old legacy BART trains and more of the sort of new ones, right? Yes, that's exactly right. BART made a sort of big production out of what it called the final trip by a legacy fleet train. These are cars that go back to the very beginning of BART. BART is 51 years old this month, and um, they're looking a little beat right now. And so as part of this change service, BART is retiring those from regular service. You still may see them. What the service is supposed to feature each and every day for all service hours is, is the brand new train. You know, these new cars represent a, a big advance in the customer experience in a lot of ways, but there are some things that people don't like so much. The seating configuration is different. Some people find the seats too hard and stuff like that. But anyway, you have brand new cars, better ventilation and better signage and announcements and all of that. And Dan, the trains are also going to be shorter, like actually fewer cars, right? What's that about? At the beginning of the pandemic, BART began running almost exclusively 10-car trains, and that was because there was this concern about social distancing. There were many fewer people riding, but to make them feel comfortable, the trains were made longer than they typically had been earlier so that people could space themselves out on the cars. But BART is looking at a number of things that make it feel like it needed to change how it was uh, managing those train lengths. So what they've done starting this week is to just run shorter trains. On most lines, like the, the one from Richmond to Berryessa in the East Bay or from uh, Dublin Pleasanton to Daly City, for instance, they're cutting the train lengths from the typical 10 cars before to six cars. And then on that busy Pittsburgh Bay Point to SFO line, they're cutting the, the train lengths to eight cars. And BART says it's trying to do several things there. One thing, running fewer cars actually uh, saves maintenance costs and makes the system a little cheaper to run. They have fewer cars to clean. They can process a lot more of them a lot more quickly. They also say it will be easier to police the trains with both uniformed police officers, uh, fare inspectors, uh, crisis intervention specialists, and community ambassadors, that it's easier to manage the shorter trains. And then there's the idea that having shorter trains means, of course, the crowding is going to be more of a factor. There's a denser population. And having more people on the cars will discourage people from doing things that other passengers might not like so much. And finally, having the shorter trains means that people, when they want to ride in the front car, for instance, to be near a train operator, this is an issue for uh, women passengers especially, they don't have to wait all the way at the end of a lonely 
platform to do that. So that's what BART's up to with the shorter trains. I do feel like most of the talk about BART lately has been pretty negative. I mean, everyone kind of keeps talking about these fears of safety on BART. And I want to play this one voicemail that we actually got from Jimmy from San Francisco. One traumatic experience I quite remember actually was not too long ago. Uh, I was actually at the 16th uh, Mission BART station and I recalled a couple of uh, young juveniles had walked in the train. Uh, they sat right behind me, but uh, I started smelling something, and it turns out they were just lighting things on fire. And I felt very uncomfortable, but ended up having to move to a different train. But you know, I don't think this is the experience that most riders want to have. And I really think that Barton needs to step down on its safety. So until they fix this issue, I don't see myself coming back on Bart. I guess coming out of hearing what Jimmy just said, like it sounds like these changes are are an attempt to bring people like Jimmy back onto Bar. It sounds like absolutely. And the thinking moving from the abstract that I was talking about to the specific now, I mean, the thinking is that if there were a lot of people on that train car, these two people who were doing something that uh, was disturbing and dangerous wouldn't do that. Now. There are some people who are very um, bold about what they'll do, and maybe they wouldn't be deterred by that. But anyway, that is the theory for sure. And that is a good example, that episode that he's talking about, of the kinds of things that people say they just don't want to see. Can you give us a sense of what is going on in the minds of the people running the agency? Like, what is their motivation behind these changes? Bottom line, they really need to get riders to return in large numbers, much, much larger than they've seen so far. The state legislature has also weighed in on this. They want to see real improvements in public transit performance. And BART often comes up in these conversations before the state commits more money to public transit. That is really the long-term thinking there. And, And the reason it's so particularly important for BART is because historically, it has depended on passengers to help run the railroad on a day-to-day basis. I mean, BART was paying, you know, depending on how you count the dollars, 60 to 70 percent of its uh, operating costs from uh, passenger fares. And of course, that has crashed. Longer term, voters in the Bay Area in all nine counties are going to be asked at some point to pass some kind of tax measure that will provide permanent or at least very long-term operating support for BART. And BART has to make the case that it's worth a a yes vote when that finally comes to the ballot, probably in 2026. Well, I know it's early, Dan, but do we know anything about whether these changes are actually working? Well, based on the first three days of ridership numbers, it seems to be working very, very well. On Monday, they had 158,000 riders, which was the best Monday they've had since March 2020. 
On Tuesday, they had 192,000 riders, which was the, their best day ever since the pandemic started. And then Wednesday, they were just a, a hair short of 193,000, so another record. So three days in a row, they've had what amounts to record ridership. We know that there are things going on. Uh, we don't know the impact of Dreamforce, for instance, this big uh, convention that Salesforce holds in San Francisco. That's adding to ridership to some extent. We don't know exactly how much, though. We did hear from a listener, a Michelle from Livermore, who definitely loves BART, but who is, I think, one of the people who's starting to notice the impact of these changes. Just now, tonight, I'm coming back from commuting, and I know it's Dreamforce, but with shorter, less amount of cars on the trains, oh my God, it was packed, like New York City packed, um, to where the uh, operator had to tell people near the doors to give room so that people could leave at their stops to get out. So it's going to take a little bit of choreography for people to understand to move into the center as much as they can instead of hanging out by the doors. I I love that. <laughs> a little bit of choreography. I feel like that's not something people have really had to think about on bar anymore. But now, I mean, I'm like, remember when people would have to take off their backpacks to make room for other people on the bar trains, Dan? That is just what I was thinking of. But what she's talking about is is the BART experience people had from, say, 2014 to 2018, 19 especially, that people yeah. didn't love. But, you know, as Michelle said, it was reminiscent of New York. Guess what? New York is the number one transit-friendly, if not entirely transit-efficient city on the continent. And, you know, that's the way you move around masses of people in a dense city. And so we'll see. I mean, I think this is something BART is going to have to negotiate with its riders somewhat. They have already said that they're watching crowding uh, statistics very closely and that they will add longer trains as needed as the situation evolves. And especially if riders start to return in even larger numbers. People, I think do want BART to work. And we actually got a voicemail from someone who acknowledges that, like, yes, BART is a little rough around the edges, but we do just kind of want it to work. Um, So here's Gloria from Oakland. I have taken public transit as long as I have been getting around independently, kind of inspired by my late father, who always thought, if you want to experience the city, you've got to experience with public transit. So I guess I'm a bit of a BART loyalist. Sure, there are some frustrations with the system. I get super mad about delays, broken escalators, dirty cars. So BART is not perfect, but I am a loyalist. I am mostly excited about their big changes. I hope it helps BART get its groove back. I really can't imagine living in the Bay without BART. I mean, it it makes me feel like warm and fuzzy. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like BART is such a part of Bay Area life, and I would like for it to be part of Bay Area life in the future as well. And, and what's really interesting to me about Gloria's comment is that's somebody who kind of 
is willing to take the world as it is. She'd like to be like it to be a little bit better than she experiences it on BART sometimes, but she recognizes that the service is necessary beyond the simple convenience or maybe the the delight that most people want to have in in uh, their daily experiences. You know, this it really isn't just about BART. A lot of transit agencies are facing these big financial challenges. But it's also about trying to persuade people to use transit instead of driving solo. You know, the Bay Area prides itself on being this transit-rich, transit-friendly area. But you know what? It really isn't so much. Only one in 20 trips that people take in the Bay Area are by transit. For commute trips, the most popular way of getting to work for forever has been to drive solo. And so the bigger question is, how do you change that? And it's a big deal. It's, a, it's part of the state's climate goals. That's a bigger challenge that is hanging over this entire discussion. Well, what do you think, Dan? Do you think that in the long run, all these changes are going to help? Is it is it going to be enough to save BART? I mean, I think BART in some form is here to stay. You know, it'll be part of our lives to some extent, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. What will it be like is the, the question. Is it going to be a service that can handle that big commute or is it going to be something that, you know, frankly, goes back to its early days where service was actually not very robust? The service was running on a shoestring, and it really isn't part of uh, people's daily lives the way it has been in the more recent past. Here we are, three and a half years after that pandemic crash, and BART still isn't at 50% of its weekday ridership. So BART's trying to improve its public image show that it's responding to writer sentiment and uh, providing the best service that people can reasonably expect. Well, Dan, thank you so much for chatting with me about BART. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate being asked to chat about it. I love talking to you. That was Dan Brecky, a transportation editor for KQED. This 40-minute conversation with Dan was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Alan Monticilio is our senior editor. He scored this episode and added all the tape. Also, a special shout out to all the Bay listeners who left us voicemails. I really loved hearing from Dave and Arinda, Michelle in Livermore, Denise, Gloria, Paul and Shane out in Oakland, and Jimmy and Zach out in San Francisco. Thank you so much for making this episode so much fuller. Thanks to your voicemails. And shout out as well to the rest of our podcast squad here at KQED. That's Jen Chien, our director of podcasts, Katie Spranger, our podcast operations manager, Cesar Saldana, our podcast engagement producer, and Holly Kernan, our chief content officer. The Bay is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks so much for listening. Peace.
a young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice, fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.